Hello and welcome to Think Fit Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I'm the hostess and creator of this podcast and podcast network. Think Fit Be Fit is the intersection of exercise mechanics, movement expertise, and embracing curiosity. This ongoing conversation about the nuances of training will help trainers, coaches, and fitness lovers connect deeper to their exercise and the process of exercise science. Some of these podcast conversations truly stimulate my own professional and self-development. This conversation with Seth Blee is definitely one of those deep dives that create that created a to-do list of questions to ask, things to read, and ultimately generate an ongoing conversation, which is like candy to me and ultimately the goal of this podcast network. Seth Blee, who is a doctor of physical therapy, runs the physical therapy side of iNova's sports medicine program, which is close to 20 clinics. And the physical therapist is the physical therapist for the Washington Nationals and the Washington Spirit. Seth has completed extensive continuing education, coursework, and training, and is one of the principal instructors at the Institute for Physical Arts. One of the main topics of this episode is Seth's unique approach to physical therapy. You will hear us mention some of these techniques such as PNF, dry needling, and neuromuscular control. If you are a trainer or strength coach, a student, a therapist of any kind, this is obviously a podcast for you as Seth is a teacher, a manager, and a learner. We can all learn so much from him. If you are invested in your training process, I think this episode will be worth your time because it's an inside look into how the best and most engaged PTs think and operate. Rather than thinking about like the multi-million dollar arms he rehabs or keeps healthy or his role in quarterbacks, Alex Smith's incredible rehab story, think about the possibility of resolving ambivalence in the injury care process and two, think about collaborating and open-mindedness to evoking change outside of the traditional paths. And before we start this interview, I'm very excited to present our new affiliate, which is Ladder. And that is LeBron James, um, his supplement company that he started with his trainer. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is even in the uh, expert, you know, team that came up with this line of clean performance products and they have really high standards for quality and safety. They um, have pre-workout, different proteins, two different proteins, a greens drink. Anyways, you can support the podcast by using the code BFIT10, which will give you 10% off And then you can also save more when you subscribe. Go to ladder.sport and use the code BFIT10 in all caps. I just have a few more thoughts before I we start the interview the um I said you know earlier that these conversations really stimulate my thought and 
drive my own uh, self-development, professional development. And you know, Seth Lee, you, I've you know already given you his intro, but I also want to say like he was on the e, um, E60 ESPN documentary of Alex Smith and his incredible rehab journey. So. Um, that will be in the show notes along with some blogs that he's written and a couple other podcasts that he was on. I'm uh, very excited to share this with you because it's um, he's he, his work is, is something I aspire to. Not that I'm a physical therapist, but the way that he works, um, not exactly like who he works with, which is you know, the best of the best, uh, professionals wise. And, um, it's more about the approach and that he speaks as if the work he does is like natural and even typical, but it's not, he's working within physical therapy as this art and science application while sharing, uh, this openness. And I really, truly admire it. And, you know, thinking about, and learning about these approaches might be one of the best things you can do for yourself so that you can engage in a in a in a a therapy process and relationship and create long-lasting changes for yourself so like i said this podcast is dedicated to that ongoing conversation and effective thinking so that we can all have potent exercise which is a a move a really big shift away from the conversations about our bodies that are binary and black and white uh this is good for you and it's good for the same you know another person the same program and that type of approach to fitness is outdated it doesn't work um for very long and i am so excited that this we can tell these uh, stories through conversations like this. And, you know, the bottom line is the knowledge is not enough. The numbers behind numbers, the letters behind your name aren't enough. It's how you apply the knowledge, how you are a learner, how you are a thinker. And that is just to me, like, the future of this field sports medicine and staying fit which i call performance wellness anyways if you would like to hang out with us on instagram at thinkfitbefit underscore podcast or on facebook where um, we've been going live at least once a week at thinkfitbefit podcast on uh, facebook we also have a newsletter that is at thinkfitbefitpodcast.com where we spend some time uh, helping you dive deeper into these concepts and um, apply them and offer freebies. So that's every month we're offering that kind of stuff and that kind of advice. So that is um, pretty valuable and I really enjoy doing that um, for you guys. I think it's really useful. If you are learning something from this podcast, please reach out, let us know, or leave a review on iTunes that um, just tells you know the audience what you're learning and why it's refreshing and why it's important for you to have a new 
outlook on fitness. So, um, anyways, uh, like I said, I can't wait to hear from you and what you're learning. I um, am so excited. Thank you for being here for this wonderful conversation with Seth Blee, uh, the physical therapist for the Washington Nationals and the Washington Spirit. You can find all his information in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here on Think Fit, Be Fit podcast, where we are dedicated to effective thinking for potent exercise, whether you're a coach, a trainer, or just a movement lover, exercise lover. Um, we really have um, something in common, which is what we want to connect deeper with our movement and perform better. So I have um, Seth Lee with me, who is a physical therapist who runs the Inova Sports uh, Medicine Physical Therapy and the head PT for the Nationals Baseball uh, Club and the Washington Spirit. And <laughs> you may have seen him recently on ESPN with Alex Smith, right? Yeah. Um, and personally, like, you know, I love sports documentaries and that you know, I got um, really excited about that one because it was just a side that you don't normally see. So that's on um, ESPN 60 documentary, I believe. But um, please uh, introduce yourself, Seth, and tell us. Um, well, I'll follow up with another question. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Jen. I, I look forward to, to talking on this. Um, so, yeah, as you said, I'm a PT. I've been a PT for about 22 years now, um, and I've worked with a lot of different patient populations, but um, spent the most of my time in, in my profession in orthopedics and primarily in sports, especially the last several years, um, definitely in this world. Um, you know, you talk about gap between a little bit of the PT and the performance side. I've worked with some great strength coaches over the last um, handful of years from strength coaches with teams to some that I work with in my clinic. Um, so I've, I've gotten to see that side of things and, and all the different aspects that go into treating an athlete. Um, I work alongside, well, in the clinic, I work alongside some strength coaches and, and it's mostly PTs, but in the team settings that I'm in, I also work alongside athletic trainers and chiropractors and massage therapists and um, really try to have a, a pretty holistic approach um, to try to treat the entire athlete. Mm -hmm. um, so I do spend a good amount of my time with the teams. I do run our clinics. We have 18 outpatient clinics. So um, I do uh, do a good amount of creative things as well. Uh, and Probably my biggest passion that I enjoy doing is I also teach a lot to to PTs throughout the country, um, not just PTs, but primarily PTs. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into mm -hmm. some of the coursework and things like that as we go. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah, that's just so jazzed to have you here. I um I have only had I've had three physical therapists on, and they each have had something entirely unique to bring to the table, and. I, I'm just wondering, you know, when we're going to start using different terms for physical therapists, because as I'm standing where I'm standing, I just, I see such a diversity within the um, profession. Um, where, so where do you kind of fit in with the, um, 
the inter uh, sorry the international the Institute for Physical Arts. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you've done with them? Sure, sure. Yeah, um, there's a, a very wide range of PTs absolutely out there, and from specialty populations they treat to just types of practices that they're in. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to to be introduced to the IPA or the Institute of Physical Art early on in my career, just through continuing ed courses. And um, as I started to, you know, practice longer and longer and take more and more courses, I started to take all the IPA's courses and, and really get mentored by some of the, the great instructors there. Um, and I continued to take courses. I wound up getting going through two certification processes through manual therapy certifications and then started to teach with the IPA back in 06. So I, I teach um, a lot of courses, um, a lot of them are based in a PNF foundation, so it, it's manual therapy. Um, you know, I used to think that manual therapy was the same regardless of who you did it on, but it's definitely different if you, you know, if you think you work more with a, an orthopedic population, a neurologic population, a sports population, we have the same principles of how we treat, but obviously you have to incorporate what you're doing manual therapy wise into what they then need to do when they leave your clinic. And that's where you kind of have to bridge that gap between the, the hands-on treatment and getting them up off the table and actually starting to train them to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. So you mean um, exposing them to different environments or like it more like different movements when you say, yeah, get up, yeah. I think different movements and different challenges. Um, and that's, as a manual therapist, that's challenging for us because, you know, so much of the time when a patient comes in the clinic, a patient, an athlete, whatever, first thing is we, we evaluate something, we get them on the table and we just start working. And I think so many times people then will, you know, the patient gets up off the table and you're done. And then mm -hmm. it's, you know, go about your day and, and hopefully that's better. And for me, one of the challenges is, is, doing what we need to do on the table, but then also getting up and incorporating that into, you know, we just did all these things to free up different soft tissues that might have been limiting your mobility. And then we got things to activate to engage different muscles. Now, when we come in and we get into a, a running position or a single leg stance or throwing position, how does that, how does everything now get integrated and get reconnected to the system? And it's not just you get off the table and, and you leave the clinic, but we need to be able to build on that and show that now you have the mobility and you have the strength, but can you actually use it properly? Mm. Yeah. From like a motor control place, I'm thinking, is that like, you know, having somebody study for a test, just the, you know, um, so the, the example, the picture I have in my head is, you know, just getting the manual therapy, just um, quote unquote, loosening stuff up, and then getting up and expecting your body just to, you know, know it and use it. Is that, you know, just like throwing a bunch of flashcards at yourself before a test and then being like, I got it. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I, I think one of the good things that I should probably mention in kind of framing our thought process is, um, so with, with the IPA, which we talked about, we basically have a treatment philosophy and three treatment pillars. And that, that's how I look at patients. Um, and that is no matter who you're treating, who you're talking about, we look at three main areas. Their mechanical capacity to move, you know, do they have the mobility from joints, soft tissues, fascia, everything that needs to be able to move? Um, do they have the neuromuscular function to actually 
use the right muscles at the right time and have the right activation patterns. And that comes into a lot of our PNF. And then the third is motor control is how do we put that together and actually use our bodies. And I think there's a lot of people that will only treat the mechanical and do tons of soft tissue work and joint work and not really then address the other two, or some will just strengthen and try to strengthen their way out of problems. And if you're not really getting the mobility and retraining the body, how to use, you're really missing the, you're missing the boat. So I think you have to look at all three of those components when we're looking at, at an athlete, at a patient, at anyone. Yeah. I'm definitely guilty of number two. Um, but <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm totally, you know, fine with uh, saying that, you know, I'm. Is that, no, I got you. Yeah. Okay. Man, got to do some editing. Okay. <laughs> so, um, all right. I think that this Bluetooth thing died. Um, okay. So I, um, yeah, so I, you know, I come from a strength background for sure. And a lot of what I'm seeing these days is, um, something called the FRC functional range conditioning. Have you came across that yet? I, I have, I certainly won't say that I'm an expert in it, but I yeah. am aware of it. Yes. And it's like there, I, I watch, um, and I, 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 I've seen it from one side, which is um, I've been using isometrics for a long time, not quite end range like the FRC does, but like, you know, they're, it's almost like they're, they're really trying to translate it like directly and very quickly. And I'm just, I, I'm definitely curious about it. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of like a thought out there, um, in my yeah. head. The other thing you know, that it, it, it's interesting, uh, again, I'm not an expert in that area at all, but, um, like I said, my background's really PNF and that, that's how we do a lot of our facilitating, you know, the right muscles to work and how to strengthen and control things. Um, and I've seen in my career so many new things come up and when you break them down, I think like, well, yeah, we've been doing isometric holds and end range holds and moving in and out of those end ranges since PNF started in the 1940s, but yet somebody packages it a little bit differently and they say, we've got this brilliant new idea. And, and I had somebody come to me and say, you know, I, I found this trainer and they're doing all this with these spiral component movements and all these three dimensional movements. I said, yeah, we've been doing that for a while. So yeah. I think there's a lot of great concepts. People are just repackaging them a lot differently. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I get, and like the thing that I think makes, you know, physical therapy more the lane is that you guys can, you know, fully assess, fully clear someone for working it in range, you know, um, because I don't know, it might not be the right thing all the time. I, I'm, I'm okay with a half rep, you know, if that's, if that's where it's going. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, I guess it, you know, it always goes back to, I get, you know, looking at, the the foundations and you know so let's kind of get back to that um that um what what have you been recently doing as far as teaching because that must have changed <laughs> the last it's six changed months a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um to give you an idea pre-covid i would teach I probably averaged one weekend a month where i would travel and teach a course somewhere in the country um and that would be to anywhere from, 
you know, 15 to 40 or so therapists that would come to a certain area and we would put on two or three or four day courses. Um, I have not done one of those since COVID. Um, I did do a virtual one. Um, now I've done several virtual lectures, but as far as a continuing ed course, I did a virtual version of one of my courses. And the nice thing was we had, um, I think we had a hundred people in or 95 or something like that. So, um, in that one time, we were able to reach as many people as we would in several courses, even though you definitely lose something by not being hands-on and being able to, to quite teach it the same way. Um, but unfortunately, that's, that's the way that we, can, we get out there and teach. So that's all that I've done since, uh, since over started. We're in the process of planning classes for next year, and, and we definitely hope to have a good amount of in-person ones too. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm excited to get back into some in-person um, continuing ed. You know, I missed one in April and we did it online and, you know, it. Uh, you know, I really like the minds that come to continuing education, you know, like there's yeah. just such, um, especially in the strength coach world, because it worse if the, if, if I'm, um, connecting with that person, we're all, you know, we're talking about the philosophies and the, uh, the continuous improvements and what, you know, what curves, uh, happen within, you know, these, uh, transitions of, you know, injury to, you know, being fully functional and fully engaged with your exercise or your sport, and, uh, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm getting some of that on the podcast, but it's not quite the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then what, um, so the term active recovery. Um, so when we talk about like new and like shiny things, I feel like this is one of those that, um, has, maybe it got really popular as the Norma tech boots got popular and like the different percussion guns. I, I don't know where it came. Um, maybe it was Kelly Starlet with his book, but um, have athletes, even at this like high level that you're working at, do they come in knowing about recovery? Are you like teaching it or like, where's that? Yeah. So we see a lot of different levels of athletes in the clinic. I mean, I, I still have some, some little league kids and some youth athletes up through middle school, high school, and ultimately to the pros. Um, I would say most of the pros kind of have their thing already. Um, and I'll usually feel them out a little bit and say, so what's your, what's your, you know, post game, like, what do you like to do? And, you know, they might be a contrast bath person, or this is a go for a flush run type of a person. And, to some extent, when you get to the pro level, they've, they've earned their right to say, this is what works for me. And then sometimes we can just offer, offer suggestions. Um, it's nice when you can somewhat mold that when you get some of the younger athletes in there too, um, because they often don't know a whole lot about it, or they, you know, they got something that their parents told them that they used to do, which was, you know, has been completely disproven oh, in, in the world. Um, you know, I still get kids that say, oh, so every time after I throw in a baseball game, I come in and, you know, my dad says I should just ice my shoulder and I should do all this. And we said, when I say, well, you know, we probably don't ice that much. And then we talk about that and it, it blows to people's minds when they haven't really looked into some of the, the research behind recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, 
modalities. Yeah. Um, I read this book called Good to Go, which was about- I just read that. I read that recently, yeah. I like the beer story. I thought that was fun. Um, (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, that hasn't been proven to be super effective. Um, We would all like, although I think it it was more effective for female athletes than males. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I also, you know, that was also something Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say. He used to drink beer after his training. That's um, Pumping Iron. (laughs) um the movie (laughs) anyway his documentary um so speaking of uh what did um what did it did you watch the espn alex smith uh yeah absolutely Uh, you know that was one of the down things about covid um not that there's not a million of them but (laughs) i know alex had said for a while you know he wanted to have a big watch party at his house and and get all of his you know his healthcare team together and unfortunately we weren't able to do that um so i watched it with my family here um yeah it was uh it was pretty wild um you know they had talking with stefania bell who was who's the one who um who um put it all together they had something ridiculous like 50 plus hours of footage that they put into a you know, 45 minutes of, of material. Um, so it was, it was interesting because I know when Stefania was in the clinic and we were doing my interviews and she was filming some therapy sessions, we probably had, you know, three plus hours of footage of PT. And I asked her, I said, so is this going to be like 20 seconds? And she said, yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> so they're sitting around waiting to see when we were going to get into his rehab. And that happened in the last like couple minutes of it. Yeah, well, your 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 um, cameo was pretty cool. It was um, that uh, mindset, and um, you know, I you know, if I had seen that as a young like uh, student, that that would have gotten me pretty psyched, like just to, to see that, you know. So, um, you know, that I think you know beyond the teaching, I think that's going to really spark some uh, minds because you know, so many of our colleagues in uh, this performance world, um, we have a really good experience with our trainers and our therapists. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just great to be on, on the, you know, I, I have a few people that I've mentored over the years and it's just good to be on that side of it. And that's something you do as a, as a a manager and I'm sure as a teacher, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you have to obviously wear, wear a lot of different hats. And I think, you know, the clip that they, they put in the E60 show um, talking about Alex was talking a little bit about his mindset. And I'm certainly not a, a mental coach or a, a sports psychologist by any means, but, you know, as a, as a strength coach, as a trainer, as a PT, you have to be able to understand that and how to relate to people and how to challenge somebody, but not, you know, overwhelm them. So I think, you know, people that work with clients or patients every day, they, they need to understand that that's a huge component of what we do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. And like with having so much hands-on time with your athletes, do you see mindset changes often? Absolutely. Where, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. What, um, and so speaking of, uh, the, can we talk about that course you mentioned on our initial phone call? The optimization? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the course that you're talking about is one that I put together about four years ago or so called Strategies for Optimizing Performance. Mm. Um, And, you know, I've I've done a lot of other 
courses, things like, you know, you're probably familiar with, and your listeners are probably familiar with things like FMS and SFMA and different movement screens. And, and one of the things that I wanted to look at was, could we look at how somebody moves from a little bit more of a, of a PNF base and, and a little bit more of looking at their, their alignment and their position and how that drives how they actually move and how, you know, we don't just look at posture for the sake of posture and, and treating pain, but how does this impact movement strategies and how do we then, you know, see somebody with this type of a movement strategy and train them to move more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the other things I talk about in that class in the beginning is, as I was talking about those three pillars, you'll see a lot of people that will do, especially in a pro athlete setting, a ton of work to get more mobility, a ton of strength work, but really miss out on the control piece of it and, and the, the stabilization and the underlying control. And you were talking before about, you know, how, how much range do you let somebody work into? I, I almost always say, we're going to do this into as much range as you can control. And that might be a couple of inches for somebody. It might be a complete squad or, or a full range of something else. And I think um, that's something that I try to get across in that class is, is really look at someone's movement strategies and how they control movements and how their postural biases and dysfunctions might impact what their movement strategies are and then how we can train out of that. Yeah. So meaning postural biases as to what's functional for them or is it like a are you speaking about a screen like a, yeah. So a little bit of both. I, I am looking at an alignment screen and we use, this comes from another course from the IPA um, that Vicki Johnson put together at Vicki Saliba Johnson is called the Saliba Postural Classification System, which we basically look at looking at somebody and to really oversimplify things, just how do they line up? How does that thoracicades line up over their pelvis? Is it what are the angles of their body like? Because we know if they line up and they're they're lined up vertically stacked, your thoracic cage over your pelvis, and you're not too posteriorly tipped or anteriorly tipped, your your muscles are going to respond better. So some of it is a screen, and we can look at them. Um, we have some functional tests that we use to see how well their body responds, um, but then also just watching how they move. And I might see that this person is, you know, an extremely extension biased person. That their first movement is always you know, hinge at that function and go into extension. So what do I need to do, not only mechanical treatment wise, but how do I need to train them to make it so that they're, you know, they're driving with a, a, what we call a core first strategy and stabilizing better or using their legs better. So it's not always hinging in what might be functional for them, but I would say is probably not the most efficient movement strategy. Mm. How do you define the core? How do I define the core? Mm-hmm. Um, so the core, um, I'll define core muscles and, and the way that I really try to, I keep, try to keep it pretty simple when I explain it to patients is I say, you basically have two types of muscles in your body. Whatever you've thought about, you know, fast twitch, slow twitch, type one, type two, you have stabilizers and movers. And for me, your core are your stabilizers. Now you have stabilizers at every joint. So it's not just People think of core as, as your core around your, your abdominal area. You know, your rotator cuff is the core of your shoulder. Your, your deep rotators are the core of your hip. You have intrinsic foot core. So your core are your stabilizing tonic muscles. Oh, I, oh, I like this. I, I get different answers from everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, 
that that really uh, it tickles my brain a little bit because um, I've definitely um, we train we train a lot of foot muscles. We work with a lot of foot muscles in my domain, and um, you know, there's there's something really special that happens when people can grab the ground better and. You know, totally. yeah, and like that changes the movement up the chain. I just had a golfer in here. We were just talking about this, and I, um, you know, yeah. So, um, so when you're like uh, thinking in this like postural way, um, you're. It sounds like it's it's um it's it's a layer deep than you know. Um, I guess. I'm, I'm what I'm thinking of what most people are familiar with is like when uh, like a chiropractic uh, approach where you stand on like two scales and they, you know, they kind of say your shoulders are here and your shoulders are there or your hip is this way and your hip is that way. And that to me seems like a more structure based approach. And this sounds different. 100%. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That looks at mechanical alignment, but that doesn't tell me if that's efficient for you or not. You know, because if you look at that, you could see somebody that has, let's say, a structural scoliosis and say, well, they're never going to be efficient. Well, we don't really look at just a plumb line because everybody's efficient is going to be different. It's how does your body work? And if you've adapted to some of these dysfunctions that you might have, you might be more efficient in your, you know, whatever your position is. So, um, yeah, we look and, and take like a snapshot. And I always say, you know, when you're looking at somebody's alignment, that's like your hypothesis of how do you think they're going to function, but you then need to do some tests and, and we'll do different things to see how does a core fire, how does the body handle a load, an external force? You know, what happens if I push down on their shoulder girdle and do what we call a vertical compression test? How well does that, is that weight distributed throughout their body? So it's, I look at, at alignment because it tells me what I think is going to happen, but you don't know until you have some type of a functional test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that, that means like the movement, um, multiple things kind of moving at once versus just trying to find that one thing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Does, does your body respond well? And, 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 um, Vicki Johnson used, she came up with the term, um, ACE, which stands for automatic core engagement. And, and what that means is when you're in an efficient alignment and I, let's say I, I push against your shoulders, your core should engage, you should kick in right now. If you lift up your sternum and you're standing in a, a little bit of a posterior thoracic cage and I push against you, I'm knocking you right over. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's different positions that the body is meant to function more efficiently in and different ways that the muscles will respond better. So um, I want to see, does this person have, have that ACE? Do they have an automatic core engagement of their shoulder? Can I, can I do different tests of their shoulder girdle to see, does that cuff stabilize? You know, does that foot stabilize when they go into single leg stance? How does their body respond? Not just what does it look like? And you should stand like this because that looks like you're more in alignment. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I'm picturing, okay, so I'm picturing someone sitting like on your uh, exam table and like you push one shoulder over and you're just kind of seeing what they do basically or maybe yeah, even um, more I functional. Yeah, more functional and I tend to do it more standing because, you know, what happens in sitting doesn't necessarily tell me what's going to happen when you go and run or when you, you know, swing a bat or, or do something else. So I want to 
put you in different positions and test to see how your body responds. How well do those tonic core stabilizers kick in in whatever position that you need to be in? Mm. You know, because what we see with athletes, and I talk about this in my class a lot too, athletes are very good at training phasic muscles. You know, it, it's, it's way more fun to train fast twitch. You know, we would always rather do a box jump or a ball slam than, than do like prolonged holds of something. That's just not as much fun. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that underlying stability, then all you can look, you know, great and have great muscles and, and phasic muscles, but you can't use them very well. So you need those tonic stabilizers in order to be able to access your strength. Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely seen it. And, um, it's almost like, you know, athletes are the great compensators. Like they have more strategies than I do a hundred percent or, you know, not just in like, if, if we took like a, like a corner and, you know, we're like, we're going to teach you tennis. Like they would probably figure it out quicker than, you know, than me. Right. Um, and that's what I mean by like, they might be like the great compensators. They're, they're able to like figure stuff out. And then when, you know, when that kind of accumulates, they end up in your office. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and hopefully I see them before. Um, yeah. And, you know, one of the terms that we talk about also in this class is that in order to be efficient, whether you're talking to ath athletics or, or dance or whatever, you need to have options for movement, mm. right? And if you start to have these dysfunctions pop up and, you know, now this is tight and I don't move very well, this, and now this hip doesn't ex extend very well, you start losing options for movement. Now, your best athletes are your best compensators, but you continue to compensate and you lose more and more options. Eventually you can't do your thing you want to do anymore. Yeah. Um, are you, um, how, so how do you explain compensation to an athlete without fearing, putting fear into them? Yeah, it's a good question because there's the mental side of it, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, what I usually say is, your brain is really good at figuring out the easiest way to do something. That might not always be the most efficient way, but it's easy for you. So just because that's easy, it might not be the best way that you can do it. So let's, let's try to fine tune this and make it even more efficient. And that's where some of our tests and, and different things that we'll do manually will show the patient that, you know, maybe I can be stronger if I'm in this position, or maybe it is easier for me to move if I, you know, try to get these muscles to fire properly. So um, usually I, I look at it as, um, you know, trying to make it the most efficient way that you can use your body. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what, uh, yeah, it makes me think of, um, you know, the way that we use our words and the ethics um, when we're talking, you know, to people that might have, pain and um what and like you know they're focused on like a dysfunction like they have a problem and their problem it has to be solved and um how do you do, do you, is that the kind of stuff that you work with with different therapists i mean you must because you probably yeah. work with a lot of young therapists yeah yeah and, and i would say not just pts but even other healthcare providers that we work with um yeah the terminology that you use is huge um and i'm i'm a big uh, a big advocate of being positive and, and and trying to 
get patients to understand that you're trying to do everything to help them, but you're not necessarily just fixing things. You know, just to give an example, one of the things that drives me crazy is when somebody comes to me and says, oh, my SI is out. And I say, well, your SI is not out. You know, maybe you're not moving as effectively at this joint as, you know, as you could if we loosen up this muscle a little bit, but you didn't throw your back out and your, your SI joints not out. It's just, we need to improve your movement a little bit better. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think trying to get out of that mindset of I'm out, I'm broken. You need to fix me. That's not, I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, in one way, like somebody comes in your office and you're like, you've, they're kind of like, you've got the solution to my problem. And like, that feels good on one, one level from, you know, the professional, um, from where I'm sitting. But on the other end, I'm like, I, I don't want you to come in here with um, such a predetermined, you know, thing. We're talking about a, a, a body that, you know, interacts with so many things and there's so much going on. Like, how can you just think it's just this one thing? Right. Yeah. And, and when they come in with that mindset of, of saying, I need you to fix me, that becomes a very passive relationship. And they're so dependent on you um, that they're never going to be able to fend for themselves. And, and, you know, we say in PT, yes, I want to help you to get better. But a big part of what I need to do is teach you how to take care of yourself. And if every, you know, so often you need to come in and see me because you you know, you mess something up and you don't know what to do about it, then I've failed you as a therapist, you know, and, and, you know, we hear people say, you know, I've got this great whatever type of provider. I've been seeing them for, you know, 20 years. I usually say, well, that's a problem because I don't want to see you for 20 years. I want to take care of your issue. And yeah, we might do some tune-ups down the line, but I want to be able to teach you what to do when you have issues and teach you how to use your body more efficiently so that you don't just have issues. You know, if, if you need me to, you know, do soft tissue work or, or dry needle or do some treatment technique over and over and over again on the same thing. Well, I'm not really providing you a good service because I haven't fixed the issue in the, in the first place. Mm. And I haven't addressed your movement inefficiencies, which is making that continue to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's one where, um, language and integrative work, um, can become really helpful or really like not, <laughs> um, you know, and I, um, the act, the active versus the passive. So let's touch on that a little bit. So a passive mentality coming into, um, the, uh, any training facility or, um, treatment facility would be like, just fix me uh, what we just said. Um, I think it could also I, I would think dry needling would like really kind of reinforce that mentality. You yeah. Know? And that's definitely passive. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of times patients will, you know, it, it's kind of a, a big new thing in the public. So people will call and say, Oh, I need to come in to get dry needling on this. Will you do this? And, and we'll usually say, <laughs> well, yeah, there's a chance we might, but we're going to do a lot of other things too. And we need to evaluate to see if that's even appropriate and then, mm-hmm. you know, teach you what to do about it. So, we may or may not dry needle you. And I'm, I'm certified. I, I use it a good amount, but certainly don't needle everybody. I don't even needle somebody every day um, because oftentimes, even if that's something that people think that they want, they may not 
they may not understand why does this muscle keep tightening up. And by me dry needling your, let's say it's your trap that keeps getting tight. Yeah, I could needle that every day. And then you go to lift and you continue to be dysfunctional in how you move. It's going to tighten up again. So it, it's really like putting a Band-Aid on it. I'd much rather teach you how to move more efficiently so those dysfunctions don't continue to crop up. Yeah, I I feel like that conversation is harder. I don't dry needle, um, to be clear, um, with uh, people that with the shoulder dysfunctions and the shoulder pain, because it's just like, uh, you know, it, it trying to um, give people like that full body picture, like, oh, your hips are part of this too. You know that? And um, that is, I, that's, uh, never really changed for me. That is, um, a tough conversation. Um, because it's, it's a shift. It's a paradigm shift for a lot of people and maybe even people in, in, as a physical therapist, you know, um, I don't know that, well, like we said earlier, there's so many different kinds of approaches now. Um, then when we say like the active approach, what do you mean by that? So not just laying on my table and having me do something with my hands to you. Um, so, you know, it, it's always, yeah, if I have something that hurts, I would love to just come in and lay in and have somebody do soft tissue work. I mean, that's, that's great. I don't have to do anything. Um, but even if I'm doing soft tissue work and we're combining things where I might, you know, change the position somebody's in and have them pull up into a different position to activate this muscle to get it to release a little bit better. And then we got it to release. Now let's retrain that movement. And I start doing some manual resistance and then we come off the table and let's look at an exercise to build on that. So it's not just, you're completely just letting me do everything. You have to be an active participant and start using your body after we get some of these gains. So again, the some of the passive stuff is the mechanical treatment, but then do we get into that neuromuscular and retraining things to fire properly and then get off the table, do some of our motor control training and, and figure out how to put that all together into something more functional. So not just staying there and having me do, you know, joint mobilizations or dry needling or soft tissue work on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how does that, does, how do you see that carrying over to like that next, um, self, uh, level of self agency, like, um, because we're, you know, you just described like what I think is like 40 minutes of working with someone. Um, what, what happens after that? Like, is it prehab? Like what kind of things? Yeah. So I I think a big thing that has to happen is education is Mm. to have somebody realize, you know, I'm not just giving you an exercise because I feel like you should go and do a bridge, you know, say, let's take something really easy Um, because I like bridges and it's a good, you know, glute hamstring strengthening. That's not why I'm doing this. Maybe we have just, you know, freed up your hip flexor and got you to move. And now you're learning to drive through your hips and to keep a neutral trunk. So now here's the couple of things that I want you to build on to do at home so that it reinforces everything that we just did in the clinic. And then when I see you in a few days, hopefully we're going to build on that. So having somebody understand why you're giving them something to do rather than just you're going to squat for the sake of squatting, or you're going to do, you know, a certain exercise just because this is my favorite posterior chain exercise, you know, understand this is why we're building on what we just did and how you're going to maintain this. And I tell people, even if we've got a great manual therapist, if you leave my office and you go home and sit on your couch for the next three days, you're going to come in and you're not going to be any better than you were today. So you need to take ownership 
you know, own this new range, own this new movement strategy and start building on this so that we can make some, you know, some gains in the long run. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, is it like, is, is it like the talk, like I'm, I can tell when you do your homework or is it, um, you know, does it, does it ever get more empowering than that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'd say that's, you know, that's one of the nice things about working with your highest level athletes is you don't need to convince them to do something. If you can show them that if, if I put you in this position or we get these muscles working and you can see that you're stronger and you can do something better then they're asking me what they should be doing at home. It's not me trying to explain, here's what you need to do for homework. It's, yeah, that felt awesome. So what do you want me to do today? You know, can I go do this tonight or should I, you know, so with a group like that, it's easier mm. for your maybe not as high level, maybe less motivated people. It's a little bit trickier. Um, but yeah, it's, that's the nice thing about, about working with athletes for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and then, um, can we go back to what uh, PNF a little bit? Sure. Um, this is also for my professional development because, you know, as you know, like we, I have um, an IPA trained physical therapist in my um, little studio, and yes. um, PNF. So a lot of um, my peers and colleagues have been uh, through like. NASM when we were younger. Um, and I definitely have, um, some issues with a lot of NASM. Um, but I, they, they taught a version of PNF and I feel like, like it just is a little bit. And like the way that you and Jen refer to it is just completely different. So what do you have to comment about that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would say even in the PT world, PNF is one of the most misunderstood things that, that's out there. Um, because if you ask, and, and we, we teach a lot of courses, and one of the first things I ask is, is to PTs even that have gone through, you know, some, some amount of PNF training in school, say, what do you know about PNF? They all say patterns, right? It, it's diagonal movement patterns. and it went, oh, Like some, this thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. Right. Okay. You're, yeah. You're doing, you know, pull the sword or you're doing, um, contract, relax techniques or different things like that. And those are like tiny, tiny pieces of what PNF is. Um, you know, when we, the way that I really oversimplify it for patients, when they ask, you know, oh, I see you're going to teach this class. What is this? I usually say it's a, it's a hands-on like manual therapy technique where we use our hands to try to get you to move better and to move more efficiently. Within that realm, there's a lot of different things that we can do. We can do, you know, quick stretches to muscles and, and prolonged holds and shortened ranges. And we use irradiation by resisting different parts of the body to all work together and integrate better. Um, sometimes we'll put, not sometimes, but oftentimes we'll put patients in patterns because those three-dimensional movement patterns like you're showing are ways that the body gets different muscle systems to really work together um, and integrates better with the trunk. So we'll look at how can I facilitate more efficient movement? And that's really what PNF is. Um, but, you know, you'll read an article even in Strength and Conditioning Journal and they'll say, you know, they did this PNF stretching technique versus static stretching. And all it is is they did contract relax. So, yeah, that's 
part, that's one technique of many, many techniques in the PNF, you know, tool, toolbox. Yeah. And just to like kind of stir it up a little bit, like I think <laughs> that the NASM and like the journal, like the strength and conditioning journal have done a really good job to like try and simplify our language. And I think it's done a disservice because something you just said, like, it just made me think like we're sold this idea um, that our body's supposed to be like a North, South, East, West like machine. And yep. no, it's not at all. Um, it's <laughs> like, we, you know, birds don't do that. You know, birds don't. Right. Yeah. It's just not how it works. <laughs> we don't move in straight planes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that makes um, a kind of, uh, makes me think um, that language thing again is just so important. And, and I, my professional view is that we're, we could, we as like, um, if we just say, you know, integrative sports medicine and performance, like I just made up that term. Um, right. If that is a thing, like, can we all speak the same language? Yeah, it's, it's tough. And I agree with you. It's even hard. I mean, within a PT clinic, you can have PTs that are trained in five different approaches and they don't even speak the same language. Mm -hmm. So much less getting, you know, pe different practitioners to speak the same language. Yeah, it's, it's definitely challenging. My, my other curiosity here is um, with using structural language um, and like pain science language. Um, and what I mean by structural language is like, uh, for example, a chiropractor looking at a young lady and saying, wow, she needs an image done. And then we're, then we're in a structural conversation about someone's body and they're, they're moving, not the best, but decent. And they, um, what, what, um, what is your thought on like, you know, helping people understand mechanics and structure versus like function? Yeah, I, I think that's extremely important. And, you know, I was an athlete, I've had a lot of injuries and, you know, early in my career when I was struggling with trying to figure out how to explain this to people, you know, and they come in and say, well, I just had this image and I have, you know, Two, herni two herniated discs in my neck, so I shouldn't be doing this. And I could say, oh, I, I've got two pretty terrible ones too, and I have no pain, you know, and I can move efficiently. So just because you have that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to interfere with how you move and how you function. And, you know, I'll have somebody come in and say, well, I have, I have this going on with this nerve or with this disc. And I say, well, that, that's fine. You, fortunately, you don't have any disc symptoms and, and your issues are not nerve related. So, I get that you have that. That's kind of an interesting thing that we need to, to keep in the back of our minds, but that shouldn't limit what we're trying to do right now. You know, yeah. now I have to educate you so that if at any point that we're doing things, here's some red flags to look out for. But if those aren't what you're experiencing right now, then I'm not really worried about what your MRI showed. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we had a pro athlete the other day that just came back from getting an MRI and it showed he had a pretty significant um, labral tear. Um, and he said, yeah, but I've read about labral tears and that doesn't really limit me and I can do this and I can do that. So we're not really worried about that labral tear. So let's see how you function. Yeah. 
He said that? Or you said that to him? No, he, he said that he wasn't really that concerned because it wasn't limiting him. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we oh. kind of beat on that. Yeah. That's exciting to hear. I mean, that's, yeah. um, that is, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's just like a fine line between healthy curiosity with athletes and like type, a, like, no, I don't want to say type A, uh, too focused on um, things that they can control. And uh, yeah, and so that's like, it's just nice to hear that, um, you know, the, the, there is some carryover into like what we're talking about and like how, you know, how athletes are caring for their body. Yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and I think by the time you get to, you know, a professional level um, or you get your older athletes, they've had so many injuries that they know that they're, they're pretty beat up and they know that this is torn and this is, this is an issue, but they're okay. And they're still playing their sport and they're able to go on. So they're not really, they're ones that are not really focused on their, you know, the dysfunction that they have They're They're ones that you don't need to get into the pain science discussion all, all that much with. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, so what, um, have you thought about like writing a book or uh, publishing in that way? Cause like you're, you're just very unique, I think. And, um, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have so many things on my list to do. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have, I, I did publish a, a couple of chapters in a book, but it was just, it was on ACL stuff that I did a couple of years ago. Uh, but as far as kind of putting together this, this kind of big picture, um, yeah, I think it'd be fun, but I don't know. There's only so many hours. So I started with let's teach a class mm -hmm. and see what type of response we get from this. Um, and we've had great feedback from therapists um, that really see the need to incorporate all this. So I think that's that's where my initial um, push has been, and I've done that for several years now. So I don't know, maybe if I could find the time, I'd, I'd like to sit down and write. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where this little podcast was born and now it's gotten kind of big and think I love it. Um, and <laughs> it was like, you know, I just got some stuff I need to educate my clients on and I'm just going to start like just, I'm just going to put it out there and, right. and, and they're going to be like fake chapters. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, that's where it started. Um, but anyways, um, do you have time for one more question? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, I um, am very curious because we've been studying, we, um, not me, there's a collective of people studying ACL tears, reconstructions, um, and I would say even like a screening process for uh, young athletes. Um, and it doesn't seem like these numbers are going down. Um, what do you think the future of ACL reconstruction or screening, where is it going? Because I just, I don't know. I don't think like us saying like your hip and your core are weak, like is helping. Right. Yeah. That's a good question. And that's, I mean, that's a long one, but that's a good one. Um, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of different things to unwrap in that. Um, one is, are you, first of all, you, you can't prevent ACLs, right? You can reduce them, but you know, all these ACL prevention programs, hopefully we can reduce them by educating people and training their bodies to be more efficient and also training them to do different things. So you can get, go into that, you know, that rabbit hole of specialization and overuse and, and, 
you know, overtraining and things like that, especially at a young age, which is a, a huge issue. But when you, you know, when you talk about ACLs, the biggest population you're going to look at is probably your adolescent female athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's actually the, the book that we wrote that I co-wrote um, is, is looking, I think, more at the motor control of how they actually use their bodies. So you can look at some tests and some training things like, you know, your drop jumps and your your step downs and your triple hops and all of those things are important. But I think you really need to look bigger picture and look to see how do they actually use their bodies. You know, those are all very controlled, straight plane movements. Um, that doesn't tell you what happens out on the soccer field when you're trying to cut and pivot and you've never really worked into, you know, an algus stress position before. So how does your body know how to actually do that? Um, so how do we train them to introduce some of those stresses that they're going to experience on their field and not make it so sterile of we're just going to do, you know, these straight leg raises and these very specific exercises that they're just not very functional. So I think the more functional that we can get and the more um, different things that we can introduce that are closer to real life, the better that's going to be for people. Yeah. What I was teaching was I was having the young uh, ladies get into these like a knee, like I would say like some type of athletic position and like kind of like a split squat or like standing on one leg. And I would have like, partners pushing each other and made it kind of fun. Um, you know, of course, once you start down that line with girls, they just, they giggle and, and that's a whole nother problem. Um, but yeah, is this your first year with uh, a professional soccer team? Yes. Um, yeah, I've worked with, uh, so this is my first year with the spirit. I've, I spent a year a long time ago in uh, major league lacrosse. I took care of a WNBA team one of, uh, several years ago, and then I just finished my fifth season with uh, in professional baseball. Uh, but I've dealt with pretty yeah. much every college sport there is. But yeah, it's my first season with uh, with pro soccer. Yeah, yeah, they're um, they're a special group. I am I am of course a soccer fan, and they just they play some beautiful ball. Like so, you know, whatever you can do to keep that going is just really good for you know, uh, my sportsmanship and excitement too. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, I, um, I really enjoyed this. I think, um, you know, this episode was kind of about me because like these were my professional curiosities that I just brought to the table. So thank you so much for answering. If it's your podcast, you can make it about whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just glad everybody, you know, kind of enjoys, um, you know, it's, a, it's I, I, I just truly believe that exercise has been sold, um, sports conditioning has been sold as one or two dimensional. And it, I, I just think there's so much, uh, I, I just think there's so much innate um, beauty and uh, what is it, um, just life force when we have um, these like symmetrical looking motions and like strength. Like, I think it's like, it's the human condition is just, you know, attracted to it. And it's, um, a beautiful thing to participate in and grow with. And, you know, so I just, I could talk about it all day. So, <laughs> um, awesome. I, yeah. I enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. My pleasure. Um, any, uh, last, uh, 
ideas about what you have inside of you that needs to be taught out in the world? Um, nothing, uh, nothing that that's too specific right now. I, I just, I think that especially since you have, you know, a pretty diverse uh, group that listens to this, I think uh, it's always important that we learn from each other. You know, and and sometimes people will will get very stuck in their their realm and say, "Well, I'm a PT, so I'm going to do this." Or I'm a, you know. I'm a chiropractor. This is all I'm going to look at. I'm just doing the exercise, and I think, I think we really need to be able to look and see. Well, who's good at what they do, and what can I add to my practice by having conversations with them? So, realizing that we're all, you know, it sounds a little corny, but we're all kind of in it for the same purpose to try to help people to to be better and to be more efficient at whatever they do. So, I think just learning from each other is huge. So, hopefully, you get a, a good diverse group that listens to this and, and can take something away from it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I haven't had many um, pro athletes come into my office excited to see their physical therapist. And that's in reference yeah. to you. I swear. I've, <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's, it's just not a thing. So, you know, once, um, you know, that, that kind of, uh, once I realized that I was like, Oh wow, that, that needs to be shown. Like that needs to be out here. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. It's not always, uh, we, we don't always want to be seen as the ones that are working with people after they've been broken, you know, and after they have these issues, we want to be proactive and trying to train them and teach them how to, how to use their bodies better. So, um, yeah, hopefully there will be less uh, negativity around. Oh, I, you're the PT. I hope I never get to see you, but um, yeah, you know, yeah. we want it to be, well, you should, because we're going to help you use your bodies better and, and hopefully become better at whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice to have PT as, um, one of the first stops instead of the sixth, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. All right. Thanks for having me. Good talking to you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for hanging out with Seth and I. I really hope you are inspired as much as I was by that conversation. And the truth is, him and I are already corresponding on, you know, different aspects of training and development and sharing the best information with this audience. And I um, am truly, truly honored to, you know, help you guys see this way of thinking fit and being fit. If you um, want to help out the podcast and support us, please check out ladder and use our discount code BFIT10 to purchase your sports nutrition from a company that is dedicated to creating high performance um, NSF certified for sport workout supplements and for supplements for daily use. These supplements support a good nutrition approach, right? You got to have good nutrition before you add supplements and they're for athletes, right? So it was created by LeBron James and his trainer. It's, uh, again, such an honor to um, be able to support the podcast and bring you guys high-quality sports nutrition. So check them out at ladder.sport and use the code BFIT10 for your 10% discount. And you can save even more with a subscription to one of their high-quality products. Uh, thank you guys again for hanging out and uh, let us know what you're learning. 
Uh, check out Think Fit, Be Fit podcast on Facebook and Instagram and sign up for the newsletter. Like I said, we're diving deep into these concepts and we want ongoing conversations. So we want to hear from you. We want to know what you want to learn, what you are learning and how you're applying this information. So head on over to iTunes um, or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts and hit the five stars, hit the subscribe button. Um, tell your friends and family why you love this podcast and how you're applying the information to improve your approach to fitness. Have a great week and I look forward to hearing from you.